Welcome to the Power of Digital Policy, a show that helps digital marketers, online communications directors, and others throughout the organization balance out risks and opportunities created by using digital channels. Here's your host, Christina Podner. And welcome to this month's overview episode of the Power of Digital Policy. Today, I want to talk about digital security policy because, well, security has become such a central point of digital. Or rather, if I think about it, data breaches and leaks have become the central point of discussion. It's definitely a timely topic. Digital security, you know, whether you call it cybersecurity or just security, it doesn't matter what your program is called, the facts surrounding security remain the same. It's a day-to-day struggle for businesses because of the huge increase in hacks and breach systems, and that includes mobile IoT devices. And if you stop and think about it, only 5% of businesses say that their portfolio has been properly protected. Isn't that astounding? 5%? 71% of breaches are financially motivated, and 25% are motivated by espionage. This is, of course, from Verizon. But we're really talking about five, only 5% of businesses feel like they're secured. And when we think about, again, that breakdown, 71% of breaches financially motivated, 25% by espionage. Those are huge statistics and ones that impact your business from all different levels. And then consider some other headlines that we've seen recently. Like Accenture says that 68% of business leaders feel their cybersecurity risks are increasing. And from the University of Maryland, that informs us that hackers attack every 39 seconds, on average 2,244 times a day. 39 seconds? Gosh, well, we've already had at least two or three systems attacked in the last few minutes that we've been talking. If you haven't yet been a victim of a security breach, don't count your blessings quite yet. It takes an average of 206 days to detect a breach, so your turn is definitely coming. And by the way, once you do discover this event, it will take some time to clean it up. The average life cycle of a break from time to breach occurs to containment is 314 days. Oh, and by the way, the average cost of data breach is $3.9 million or $150 per stolen record. Is your head ready to fall off your shoulders yet? Security isn't just always changing, it's also challenging as well. Most businesses relegate the risk to a chief information security officer or a CISO, or somewhere maybe in the pit of IT. But doing so doesn't just do justice to the digital security. After all, with cloud solutions and the marketing team managing more of the MarTech stack every day, security needs to be an all-hands-on-deck activity. In other words, everyone needs to have responsibility for security, even though there might be just one person stewarding security and living with the ultimate accountability, everybody has a role to play. I'm often asked who in the organization needs to own digital security and how does that line up with my idea that there ought to be a single librarian for all of digital policy. I certainly believe we should extend legacy roles, such as those of the CISO, into new digital channels such as AI or virtual reality. But a lot of times, CISOs are busy with enterprise security, and they're not on the front lines of digital development, which is where the digital policy steward can play a critical role. 
So I think that a strong partnership between the digital policy steward and other functions, including those of the CISO, need to exist. But remember that even those two roles can't address security in a vacuum. You also need to have the human resources or training department on board so that employees are receiving the right level of training. And the rest of the digital community needs to either serve as trigger points or a recipient of the information or most likely both. And that's for the entire security policy arena. And since we're talking about security policy information, let me suggest that one of the key problems I see with organizations right now is the lack of comprehensiveness in creating a digital policy program. That seems ridiculous for the amount of time that we've spent focusing on security. But most enterprises create a policy, they stick it into the policy library, and then they mandate employees to take a once a year online security training. You've probably taken it. I've taken it a million times. The training comes down to the individual previewing a video or quiz. And if you're anything like me, you probably don't pay full attention while you're doing this. You're doing other things in tandem. Because the goal really is to get an 80% pass rate and get your certificate move on to business as usual for the next year when we have to retake the training. So this approach is great for compliance. It helps the CISO or others in the organization check the box, but it does nothing for your security practices. It doesn't also make any of us feel any safer, nor are we safer than before the training is taken. So I have a slew of issues with this type of training. The training mostly focuses on enterprise security for all employees, and a lot of times it emits digital specific risk. I see email may be addressed, but very seldomly do I see digital marketing addressed in terms of the different kinds of email campaigns, or maybe even talking about artificial intelligence, um, virtual reality, machine learning, and other aspects of digital that are so important, especially from a security perspective. I also see very few employees pay attention to this type of training and much like I often do, I see it more as a compliance checkbox. And we still continue to see major enterprise breaches and human errors leading to data leaks with little adjustments to underlying training materials. And so I think it's really a lot of effort for something that doesn't actually give us a lot of um, kind of return on our investment. I think it's a great time to rethink security policy and to do a much broader context that reflects today's digital realities. When I work with clients, there's a number of things that I consider in order to get closer to a good baseline policy and practice. And I thought that today would be a great time to talk with you all about what that looks like. So let me start off first with scope. You know, when I think about scope for the digital security policy, I'm thinking about what does your digital security policy really need to address? For most enterprises, it's very limited and it usually is focused on the more traditional channels such as websites or maybe even mobile applications. But what about the development sandbox where Innovation Labs is playing with machine learning? Or what about the Dropbox account your vendor uses to store the creative brief your marketing team sent over for the Q4 campaign plan? Or maybe what about Sally's Google Sheets um, that she created while working remotely from home last week and uh, needing to review new webinar signups? Is all of that really encompassed in your security policy? And the scope of what your digital security policy should cover 
always ought to be broader rather than narrower. I actually see a lot of organizations going narrow. We don't want to do that. Don't assume that enterprise IT or your CISO has it covered. Don't assume that doing a broad brush stroke is going to get it all done. Ask because oftentimes you don't know what's happening in dark corners of the digital marketing or operations team. So you need to ask. Circumstances arise every day, and this is a great opportunity for the digital policy steward or for you to have this in your ear in the background and keep things legit as far as the policy goes, making sure that you consider all the different practices in the enterprise. So that's a little bit about scope. Now, let's talk about measurement and violations. This is my favorite part. Nobody ever seems to want to discuss measurement of digital policy. I I realize that it's a keen to spinach of the policy world and everyone, you know, just wants to get onto everything else and eat anything but the spinach. But like spinach, measuring digital security policy is healthy and it's good for you. So try making your measurement easy to swallow. I recently did a fun experiment with a client where we unveiled a pilot and the goal was to educate digital workers around security policy. I can't imagine anything like more boring to people than going, great, it's not just security policy. Now you're piloting something new in security policy. You know, it probably was a cause for a revolution, but it turned out to be really awesome. Rather than having those next, next, next click training modules, we integrated security tips of the day throughout the digital world. Think in context of like your content management systems welcome screen. That's where the security tip was embedded or the GitHub tip of the week reminder in the Slack channel, the impromptu free ice cream giveaway for workers sharing the tip of good security practice. We were able to measure security message penetration into the digital workforce. So did it prove useful? It did from a knowledge perspective. We haven't seen as many violations of security. Granted, it's early um, and it's also hard to prove a negative, but the initial feedback from employees has been that they're having fun with a new model. It's not really interrupting their daily job. And what's really great is they're not having to go through those hour long security trainings that are really boring to everybody. So how's that for some spinach? I think that when you talk about measurement and violations, making it easy and fun leads to fewer violations and also gives you a really great opportunity to measure what you're doing in terms of the policy and whether the security is actually enhanced or not. So we talked about scope, measurement and violations. Now, when you're thinking about documenting your security policy, also think about roles and responsibilities for triggers and reviews and updates. When you're documenting your digital um, policy, one of the things that I see people do is um, they tend not to include the roles and the responsibilities that go with it. Oftentimes, we like to see this conceptually documented as part of the digital governance framework, which is a great start. But we also need to include things like internal protocol around sign off, um, things like capturing, you know, who does what from an accountability's perspective should be key in this policy. And in terms of triggers, think broadly about the type of triggers you might want to have that you would encounter and cause kind you know different kinds of updates to policies including the security policy. If you need a hand getting started, um, head over to my blog. I've given everyone a head start in a four-part series of triggers that ought to be at the top of your list of updating policies. And yes, 
They'll include things like, you know, conceptually what works and doesn't work, the pandemic, um, you know, any kinds of other environmental issues, but also triggers around technologies and lessons learned, new practices, a shift in business focus. All of those are justified reasons for going back and revisiting your digital security policy. All right. Scope, measurement and violations, roles and responsibilities for triggers, reviews and updates. What else do you need to be thinking about in terms of your digital security policy? Well, there's the standard protection and data breach uh, detection. And I'm not going to go over the details that are so common or that you need special expertise to delve into, because I think that that's what you should just do. You should get subject matter experts in the room and go through your protection and data breach protocols. But for your policy, think about things like inventories. How do you add components to the portfolio, such as AI or virtual reality? Are there approved deviations? I, if you know me, you know that I don't like the word exceptions, but there might be approved deviations to the policies. Think about access controls at the macro level, like channel and micro at the account or read data level as well as software licensing and restrictions. All of that needs to be considered as part of your protection and data breach detection. The most overlooked aspect of the policy when it comes to protection and, and breach detections are third parties, um, things like you know, processors or your vendor partners. Make sure that you carefully consider these entities and include them in the focus of your policy. I cannot emphasize that enough. It's one of the biggest challenges for all of my clients across the board. And then think about contingency planning and business continuity. Uh, this should be a heavy part part of your sorry, a heavy part of your uh, focus in your policy as well. Uh, most everyone thinks of contingency plans and backups as separate policy. Yes, they are. They should be. But what I want you to think about is where security and contingency planning and business continuity intersect, because that's really the area that you need to address from the security perspective. And there are points that touch all three areas and don't usually get documented. So special focus on, on that point. All right. I want to go through um, cloud management really quickly because one of the areas of security that I'm seeing lapse significantly in organizations right now is cloud. And here's a big area of security policy concern that's often overlooked because I think everybody feels like enterprise um, accountability sit at that CISO level and they've got it. When in reality, cloud management needs to be its own policy. And in reality, nobody pays attention, it seems, to cloud management from that digital marketing and operations perspective. So make sure you do that. Um, consider things like access management, um, multi-tenant environments. You know, do you even allow them? That's a great question. Virtual machines, data handling and portability. Um, the area that I see neglected a lot is data localization management, um, especially if you're a multinational or operate across geographical borders. You need to consider this and definitely sensitive data and cloud storage. I have to tell you something funny that I saw a few months ago. I had a client that is headquartered in another country outside of the United States, and all of the data that they collect is actually in the basement. It's on-prem in the basement of their location in the United States. And when I asked them things like, well, 
what about GDPR? Well, what about CCPA? Where are you with LGDP? Their answer to me was like, don't worry about that part of policy review. We have a big five consulting firm paying attention to that. We're in good shape. And I said, okay, that's fine. I revisited the issue two more times because I find it really hard to talk about things like cloud management without considering data localization. And every time I was told that the big five consulting firm had this in hand, they were focused on GDPR compliance. Well, it turns out that, yes, the big five company was doing a great job. Uh, They brought on a team of 42 consultants, 42, 42, a lot, many dozens of consultants, and they were focused on mapping end to end data flows, which in practice doesn't work very well. I mean, theoretically, it's great and it does meet the compliance requirements of GDPR, but it really didn't help because between the time that we identified GDPR as a consideration, all of this data being on-prem, the organization started to move to the cloud and all of the data mappings got messed up. In addition to that, we actually had to consider security from a cloud management perspective. And all of these data mappings weren't very helpful because they weren't complete. They take a really long time. They're not necessarily effective or efficient. And so you might be working on data mapping in your organization and great for you if you are. But make sure that you're considering things like data localization management at the macro level and that you understand how that impacts your security and your cloud management and all other practices in tandem with the mapping exercise. And there's, of course, so much more to explore and discuss in the cloud management arena. I think I could probably talk to you about the next five hours about that. But I need you to at least start the conversation internally and get going because cloud management is one of the biggest areas of breaches and data leaks that I see bar none. Nothing is more costly to the business than cloud management gaps. And there's a slew of other considerations that I want you to take away from today's podcast. You know, like I said earlier, I could go on and on and on, but I want to just give you a really quick checklist to run down when you're thinking about your security policy. Think about things like third-party vendor access management. I can't say enough about this. I've mentioned it already today. And what I want you to think about here is consultants gaining access to systems that they don't need access to, or maybe they do for a period of time and with vetting. I've seen so many times consultants gain access to a system and then this, the access is never revoked. So make sure you understand who has what type of access and when and whether they have been vetted and continue to need access to your digital channels or if it's something that you forgot to update. So constantly monitor your world of third-party vendor access management and processors, especially in a multinational. Ask the question over and over again That's what your policy should include. Regulatory and legal compliance is always at the forefront of my mind. I'm sure it is for yours as well. But remember that a lot of new data privacy regulations have security aspects to them. You heard me mention GDPR and CCPA. They're at the front and center of everybody's mind right now. But there are others, um, things like Papua in South Africa, LGDP coming up in Brazil, and we need to be paying attention to all of these beyond those uh, shiny objects like GDPR and CCPA right now. So make sure you understand the requirements of all of the data privacy regulations because they do have security embedded inside of them. Think about maintenance operations as well. 
Um, so maintenance operations are an obvious area of security policy to address, um, or seems obvious maybe to me, but security is never a one and done policy topic. And you can't put it on autopilot like you can accessibility policy or maybe another more stable area of practice. So think through how you will make security a living practice and include that in your policy. Two other tips for you. Contractual performance needs to have a security aspect to it as well. What I mean by that is whenever you have a contract where your business is getting external support or services, make sure that you have security embedded in those contracts. That policy needs to be front and center given to those vendors and they need to be held contractually accountable. And that means a tie back to procurement where if they meet certain security requirements and obligations, maybe they get a bonus. Conversely, if they don't hit certain criteria, they don't get paid out. Put it in there as a quality gate. Um, And then there's the issue of insurance. So this topic alone is worth a podcast episode, and I am going to do that for you this month. You can have a great policy, um, but you still have some risk exposure. And the question is, How do you want to address that? Do you want to accept it? Do you want to insure against it? Whether you decide to pursue insurance or not, every organization and every gig worker, for that matter, needs to at least understand what is cyber insurance and whether it's relevant to their digital operations. So that's my final tip of things to include or think about in terms of policy around security. Make no mistake about it. I'm not a security expert, uh, which is why I partner with those who are. And uh, I oftentimes bring them in as subject matter experts to the policy development discussion. I think it's critical to have that voice in the room. And one of the key voices that every organization needs to consider is that of a cyber insurance advisor. You can call them an expert, but I'd like advisor. Because insurance is one of the most overlooked areas of policy, and yet it can bring tremendous benefit and comfort and opportunity to the organization. Rather than delve into the details of insurance, this month, as part of the digital policy security discussion, I'm inviting Courtney Hensley to the podcast. Yay, Courtney! Courtney will tell us why insurance needs to be considered for every business, how little it actually costs, and what aspects of insurance you should be thinking about. And by the way, that also includes telling your C-suite about. Um, But what should you be thinking about and talking about in order to help the business properly balance the risks and opportunities of digital? So join me next week as we speak with Courtney and we learn all about digital insurance uh, realm, the things you need to know and consider. In the meantime, I hope you find this episode extremely helpful in terms of security policy. Make sure you grab the transcript for a checklist of things I talked about today and uh, see you soon. Until next time. Thank you for joining the Power of Digital Policy. To sign up for our newsletter, get access to policy checklists, detailed information on policies and other helpful resources, head over to thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com. If you get a moment, please leave a review on iTunes to help your digital colleagues find out about the podcast. 